0: When there are two nuclear reactors in the path of Hurricane Harvey and runaway catastrophic rains and flooding continue to increase in South Texas and mainstream media ignores the nuclear aspect of the Harvey story and you can't learn anything from the operators of South Texas Project or the Nuclear Regulatory Commission and then you hear Nancy Faust of Simply Info say... "Even." at the height of the catastrophe in
1: Japan you know the first day of the disaster tepco was at least providing information to the public as press statements and they were making reports to the government that were public and right now you know we're days into this problem at this plant and they're just blatantly refusing to give any information we know nothing about what's going on there and i mean this is a pretty low
0: bar when you're less transparent than tepco South Texas Project nuclear reactors and the Nuclear Regulatory Commission are worse than TEPCO? When you hear something like that, there is no doubt that we are all strapped into the exact same inescapable seat. focusing on the ongoing nuclear threat posed by two reactors in the middle of Hurricane Harvey and the catastrophic flooding that has hit and continues to hit South Texas. Folks, this is a problem that is not over yet, not by a long shot. You'll hear interviews with Paul Gunter of Beyond Nuclear, Nancy Faust of Simply Info, and Susan Dancer of the South Texas Association for Responsible Energy, which is based in Bay City. Susan is currently evacuated from the 10-feet floodwaters which have inundated the area where she lives and works. Hers is a harrowing report. Plus, we'll have numbnuts of the week for outstanding nuclear boneheadedness and, as always, more honest nuclear information than you will ever get out of a paid nuclear industry spokesmodel let alone one in the middle of a hurricane flood zone in South Texas. Today is Tuesday, August 29, 2017, and here is the week's nuclear news from a different perspective. Hurricane Harvey, the catastrophic rains and flooding that have followed it, and its threat to a pair of nuclear reactors, is going to be the focus of the bulk of this week's nuclear hot seat. We start by talking with Paul Gunter. Paul is director of the Reactor Oversight Project for Beyond Nuclear. We began with a general discussion of the situation at the South Texas Project nuclear reactors and how the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, the NRC, has gone MIA when it comes to information flow. Paul and I spoke on Monday, August 28,
2: 2017. Tell us what you've been seeing and what your take is on what's happening at South Texas Project, the two nuclear reactors in the direct center of the pathway of Hurricane Harvey.
3: There is a concern that we're not hearing anything, really, from either the industry or the U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission. We, You, know, you would have expected that, given the uh, catastrophic flooding that's occurring there, that the U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission would provide some daily event report on their website, which would basically just call to the attention that there is this ongoing adverse condition and offer some confidence in how things are going if there's, in fact, the plant is just humming along, which is what's inferred by not giving us any additional information there was really no morning report, no daily event report, but every indication is, is that the two reactors operated at 100% power throughout this entire ongoing event. It infers that there is off-site power from the electrical grid to the re, uh, operating reactors. This is the primary first supply of electricity to all of the reactor safety systems. So. As best we can tell, all of the reactor safety systems right now are operating or functionable because they've got off-site power. Should that go down for any reason, flooding uh, particularly being the concern, the plant will automatically scram and it will go to emergency diesel generators. And then they have a backup battery system. The other concern that we have is with all this water, the primary Cooling water for both those reactors is in a large man made reservoir cooling reservoir, which is behind a dike system. so we're hearing that some of the dams in the area uh, around bay city the water's still rising behind the dams, even though the spillways are open. That's how much water's building up so it is of concern that we don't really have any kind of confidence report on how the levees are holding up for that cooling reservoir because should there be a problem there, the key concern would be that the levee would break. The reactors at 100% power, which is really hot, would lose their primary source of cooling. But all indications right now are that all systems go they're providing power to Houston pumps to get everything uh, you know everything is strained right now so it is a concern that this is a brittle power source in general primarily because it relies upon offsite electric power first of all for all its safety systems and then those safety margins narrow if you lose that power so obviously we would have preferred to see that plant in cold shutdown going into the storm. And that's typically what happens during these hurricanes. And that was essentially what they telegraphed going into the storm as part of their preparation. But they changed their mind, and they operated right through the weekend.
2: Tell us what the danger is when a nuclear reactor scrams, and beyond that, what are the chances that if there is further, even more catastrophic flooding that does impact not only the ability of the reactor to run, but the backup generators and the off-site power, what are the chances that we could be facing a Fukushima-like situation?
3: The whole process of emergency shutdowns for nuclear power stations, commonly known as SCRAM, It's like hitting your brakes on the interstate for a sudden stop. It's a violent maneuver. It tests all systems, and you don't want any of that to fail because this is control rod insertion on the fissioning of these reactors. And then even after the control rods shut the reaction down, you have tremendous amounts of residual heat from the radioactive fuel rods the core and that is not passively maintained you've got to employ emergency cooling systems in the reactor cooling systems to um, cool remove a, a lot of that residual heat into hot standby and eventually into a cold shutdown so that is a tricky process it's not unusual these happen from time to time, but it tests all the systems in an aging plant. There are concerns about keeping the emergency diesel generators going then, and they have backup systems. So they typically have a minimum of two emergency diesel generators.
2: I believe they have five on site at this particular facility. So they've
3: got, and they have additionally got a number of what they call flex reactors that can be employed should there be problems with those primary emergency diesel generators. And and again, this is part of the advent of the uh, Fukushima accident upgrades that have occurred at nuclear power stations. So there is this added margin of backup power now through these additional emergency diesel generators. It is also that they've reanalyzed the plants for raising the levels of flood protection so that emergency diesel generators and electrical circuits and these kinds of things can be better assured to operate under those flood conditions. And frankly, I don't have the level of detail, and this is what we would like to see the NRC and the um, industry volunteering right now is to up to what levels the uh, South Texas plant has been protected. We don't have that level of detail, and nor are we hearing anything at this point that would say that it's close to being challenged. So um, that's the best I can tell you.
2: It's always bad in a nuclear situation to go, well, we'll cross our fingers, but apparently that's the best we've got in front of us right now.
3: And again, this is an inherently dangerous technology that has its unforgiving consequences if something (laughs) does go wrong again the problem is is that we're not getting a lot of de- we're not getting any detail we can only assume that everything's okay because they're not reporting any problems
0: at the end of the interview as so often happens paul and i fell into chit chat that soon morphed into a discussion of possible levels of flood control at south texas project or stp and whether what's in place is good enough
3: What levels of flood protection have they raised STP two now post-Fukushima? Because they did raise the level. There were walk-downs and inspections. Now would be a good time for the NRC and the industry to be building public confidence by saying what they've got on hand. But, you know, we didn't get anything from the NRC. In fact, the website's not even updated over the weekend. So the first report off the website, you know would have been this morning
2: i checked it within the last half hour and
3: there was nothing new up there was absolutely no the only news that we've got from there is that stp is at 100 percent power both units as well as comanche peak one and two
2: comanche peak isn't quite as threatened though i believe right i i I looked at the location i can't remember exactly where it is
3: yeah yeah stp is the one that's really under the gun right now and you know, and, and um, you know, it's, you saw, uh, we did post pictures of the uh, dike system around the cooling reservoir, and it is robust, but again, we're getting reports now of dams, with the spillways open, the water's still rising behind them.
2: This is unheard of, and they don't think the rain is going to be stopping any time before Thursday or Friday. Yeah,
3: yeah, we could be looking at, you know, up to five feet of rain. The
2: one quote that got me the most was the head of the Red Cross or somebody very high up on the Red Cross said that the amount of flooding in Texas is now equivalent to the size of Lake Michigan.
3: Oh, my God. Yeah. In size, yeah. not volume, of course, just size.
2: I, I, think, I think they were referring to size.
3: I'm sure that reservoir is full and probably overflowing.
0: Of course, we had no information from the NRC with which to check this rather alarming supposition. Then, just a short time after we completed our first interview, Paul called me back with some new information.
3: I contacted the U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission Regional Office, Region 4 in Texas, and spoke with Victor Drex, who's the public affairs officer there and I asked him about the South Texas plant and what we've assumed, Victor was able to confirm that the winds around South Texas never exceeded 73 miles per hour, which is the wind level that would have triggered a required shutdown for the um, two units there.
2: Was that 73 miles per hour spike or 73 miles per hour sustained?
3: Sustained. South Texas would have been required to shut down the operating reactors when the sustained wind exceeded 73 miles per hour there. And while the winds in the area, according to NRC, did reach 100 miles per hour with sustained winds, it never reached that shutdown threshold at South Texas. Also. The river at Bay City has not crested, and, um, you know, they're closely watching this right now, but the site itself at South Texas has normal access through the roads. So apparently the roads in that area are not impeded by floodwaters. And again, this is according to the U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission in a uh, telephone conversation we had with them this afternoon. They continue to monitor. They have two on-site inspectors, but as it is right now, they're expecting more rain, up to 15 uh, inches more rain. Our concern remains focused on that off-site power remains operational to uh, all safety systems at South Texas. So they're not operating at present on emergency power and that they still have site access. and. We're told that should the water approach the protected area within South Texas that they will shut the plant down. Now again, you know, I, we would have much preferred to see that plant shut down in advance so that it was in cold shutdown should an emergency condition arise where they lost offsite power or whatever. That's a much more protected position than to run these plants uh, hot until you do have an emergency, and then you're heavily reliant upon your emergency backup power and maintaining a, a really hot plant in an emergency situation. Paul Gunter of Beyond Nuclear. Our conversation
0: raised some new questions. If the winds hit 100 miles per hour in the area... How could those winds have missed the nuclear reactors? How long were the winds sustained at 100 miles per hour? And what qualifies as sustained enough to shut down the nuclear reactors? Also, in his conversation with the NRC, Paul was told the roads are unimpeded. Hard to believe when the entire town of Bay City is under an estimated 10 feet of water. We'll have more on the condition of the roads in a little while. As of this recording, which is being made on Tuesday evening, August 29, there has still been no update or event report from the NRC regarding South Texas Project. The NRC's motto may be protecting people and the environment, but quite frankly, in this instance, I'm not convinced. I next talked with Nancy Faust. As regular listeners to Nuclear Hot Seat will already know, Nancy is communications manager and research team member at simplyinfo.org, a not-for-profit research collective that holds and manages the world's largest public archive of data on the Fukushima disaster. Nancy is an ace researcher on all things nuclear, and she and the Simply Info team have been on the job sorting everything they could find on South Texas Project's two nuclear reactors. As we talked about safety and transportation issues, pay attention to where her information contradicts the NRC's party line to Paul. Nancy and I spoke on Monday evening, August 28, 2017. Nancy, you have
2: posted on social media that, south texas project nuclear stp is worse than kepco seriously that's a direct quote what did you mean by that
1: what i meant by that was you know we're days into this problem with the storm down in texas and this company has provided no real information about the status of the plant good or bad and even at the height of the catastrophe in Japan, you know, the first day of the disaster, TEPCO was at least providing information to the public as press statements, and they were making reports to the government that were public. And right now, you know, we're days into this, this problem at this plant, and they're just blatantly refusing to give any information. They're making random posts about, you know, that they'd retrieved food, but we know nothing about what's going on there. And I mean, this is a pretty low bar when you're less transparent than TEPCO what we know about the plant is it sits about 16 feet higher than the lowest road we could find that's near the Colorado River at the point where it's near the plant. There's been varying estimates of uh, what the the flood stage is expected to be between Bay City and Matagorda which are the two cities near the plant. So there's a number of factors that they could scoot by without having the reactor blocks get flooded they could get enough water that they could flood they really don't know right now and we're not getting any information out of the utility that runs the power plant they're just they're not giving anyone any information now the facility did not
2: shut down during the hurricane even though actual wind data for that area which has been hard to find but it seems that they did have winds over 73 miles an hour, which is supposed to be the threshold, but yet they were not sustained speeds of 73 miles an hour or higher. What kind of a distinction is that for them to have made during such a catastrophic event?
1: It's kind of a strange set of data that they use. Meteorologists use sustained winds and peak winds when they're looking at a hurricane. And usually it's when they start seeing those really high peak winds that they start making bigger warnings, and that's apparently because that's when you start seeing destruction and damage. We were not able to find out if the NRC has a flat rule on wind speeds versus operating a nuclear plant. This one was saying they were going by the sustained wind speed, but when we looked at the wind speeds from when Katrina hit years ago in New Orleans, to meet those wind speeds that they said they would shut down this plant in Texas most of what Katrina hit at wouldn't have met that level of wind speed. So their wind speed may be pretty high versus, you know, what you're going to see in reality when a hurricane hits.
2: I find that remarkable because in the weeks that I cover the duck and cover reports, the NRC reports on what's gone wrong at reactors, many times there are facilities that have been shut down, reactors that have been shut down, because there was a momentary peak that went over that 73, 74-mile-an-hour threshold, and it was taken seriously there. I think Palisades in Michigan is one of those. Yet here it's clear that they were going by sustained speed. How long does it have to be sustained? Do we know?
1: We don't know. And there's been absolutely no reporting out of the NRC, good or bad, on this, issue and there's been really nothing of substance out of the plant the only data we have is the reactor reports that come out every day from the NRC that have operating speeds and the plant operator has admitted they're still running at 100 percent beyond that we have no information matagorda county reported this morning that there's still widespread power outages through the entire county where this plant sits so we don't even know if they have off-site power which is critical to keeping systems running safely There
2: was one report that came out almost by accident out of a Canadian site that was interviewing expatriates of Canada who were living in the Houston area. And one of them happened to be an engineer who was off-site but was called back to South Texas Project in order to work with them. And he was reporting food shortages and saying that there were a lot of problems that had to be taken care of. Have you heard anything further on that?
1: no, we haven't. Like I said, we're not really getting any information coming out of the plant other than this one comment this contractor made that they had run out of food and that they'd sent somebody to try to retrieve more supplies. Um, And apparently they did get the food resupplied. And he he made a mention that was kind of concerning that they had been dealing with one problem after another, but then didn't elaborate what kind of problems they're having at the plant. And, And like I said, the utility is not really saying much of anything good or bad. So it's Kind of almost as a black box situation where no one can go there and nobody that's in an official capacity is really telling anyone anything
2: I think we'll have to wait until the movie of the week comes out to tell us what really is going on there looking at the number of ways that water can come the Colorado River is there there is a large main cooling reservoir the rain that is still coming down the floods that are coming from other areas there seem to be a number of different ways that the flooding situation at the nuclear reactor could be increased do we have any sense of how high the water could rise given the factors that we have thus far
1: the one factor that actually has a number is the projections for the river flooding and those are kind of, they're below what it might take to actually flood the reactor blocks and getting close to actually flooding them. And those themselves even have a big fluctuation. The Weather Service is making estimates. They can be made worse by more rain, having more rain upstream that's coming downstream that they didn't anticipate. Localized rain that's adding to the levels on the ground. So any number that's given, there still is some fluctuation up or down. So it's really kind of a guess right now. Nobody knows for sure.
2: What about access to the nuclear reactors at South Texas Project? Should something catastrophic happen? Should they need to evacuate? Should people need to get there to provide assistance?
1: There are three roads that border the plant area. One of them drives into Bay City, which is now completely underwater. Bay City is under about 10 feet of water. It's been completely evacuated. That road is been inaccessible because it goes from the plant to Bay City, and they really can't go anywhere else on that road. The other road, Highway 35, the county said was going underwater this morning. This is one that runs east and west on the north side of the plant, which means they would not be able to get back Towards Houston or anywhere on that road that means highway 71. We do not know the condition of that That one runs north and south if that remains open They may be able to actually get north and still have access to Resupply and bring in equipment and things like that if that road has also been flooded then they are stranded
2: I keep flashing on what happened at Fort Calhoun in 2011 that's in Nebraska where the adjacent river overflowed its banks. And the only thing that kept that nuclear reactor from flooding out was the installation of an eight foot inflatable berm around it to hold the water off. And at one point early in that process, the berm itself was dinged by a backhoe and deflated and they had to quickly fix it. Do we know whether they have any such berm available to them as an emergency measure at this reactor?
1: not that we know of. We also haven't gone through older NRC documents to see if they've documented flood combating procedures. So there may be something, but it has not been brought up by the power company as in, you know, we have these things we're going to employ if we need to. The plant does sit up, is built up on about six feet of earth from the surrounding soil. So they are up a little bit higher than the field that's around the plant, but that's pretty much the only defense they have that's in place that we know of. If they have sandbags or berms or anything else that they can add if the water level comes up high, we don't know.
2: What is Simply Info doing in this ongoing and perhaps ever-changing situation to stay on top of the news that's coming in while researching what the history is on this site?
1: what we usually do in a situation like this and we did the same thing with the flood in Fort Calhoun is we're looking at multiple sources we're looking at city county Federal, we're looking at NRC, we're looking at the utility site, we're looking at news coverage, we're looking at social media to see if anybody's providing any information. Then we're also going back and we're looking for factual information on a facility, also things like we use Google Earth to find elevation levels and then kind of combine all of this and see if we can make a better picture of what's going on.
2: If the area around should flood, even if the South Texas project nuclear reactors are not damaged if the site itself is okay what is a good estimate as to how long it would be before those people could even be allowed to leave and get out of there
1: and that might be a problem many of these people live in the area their houses may be underwater staff that wasn't on site May have already evacuated because the entire county is under a mandatory evacuation. All of these people that work at the plant their families are likely evacuated also. So bringing in more people to give the people that are working there some rest, let them, you know, take a break or go deal with things they haven't elaborated exactly what they're going to do they still have all non-essential personnel staying away and they're not making any public plan for switching the crew yet and this may also play into the problem with
0: getting in and out of the plant a problem which according to the nrc and south texas project doesn't exist that was nancy faust of simply info heads up that Nancy will be joining Nuclear Hot Seat in the near future to provide a monthly Fukushima update. We'll have our third interview in just a moment, but first, this, what you are hearing. This is what you count on Nuclear Hot Seat to do. Get into nuclear stories with more depth and more skepticism than you'll find on all of mainstream media combined. We get behind the scenes, under the skin, and into the heart of nuclear matters every week with fresh information and an unrelenting perspective. Does having this information help you? Then help us. There are costs incurred with bringing you the nuclear news that you get here. So if you value this kind of information, the kind that we provide, help us out by sending a donation of any size. Just go to NuclearHotSeat.com, look for the big red donate button, and click on it. For those of you on a budget who still want to make a difference, you can do so. There's also a big green donate button that allows you to quickly set up a recurring donation of $5 a month. Do what you can to help Nuclear Hot Seat to keep searching and sharing nuclear information that helps you understand what's really going on. Know that whatever you can do to help, you've got my gratitude. Now back to our nuclear hot seat, Hurricane Harvey South Texas Nuclear Special. Susan Dancer is president of the South Texas Association for Responsible Energy. This group is headquartered in Bay City, Texas. Yes, that Bay City. Her home is in the middle of the flood zone. We spoke with Susan just this afternoon from her evacuation site, well away from Bay City, yet still under a lot of pressure, which she handled with grace.
2: Susan Dancer, you are part of a coalition of three watchdog groups demanding that the South Texas Project, STP, nuclear reactors near Bay City, Texas, should be shut down immediately in order to protect public safety in the wake of Hurricane Harvey and the devastating rain. You and I are talking on Tuesday, August 29th. First of all, what do we know of the current situation in the Bay City area?
4: Well, we've got devastating flooding. It's as far as uh, the weather goes in the area, we we took the eastern nor- dirty side of the hurricane when it came in the first time. It calmed down a little bit, backed back over us, uh, back inland, now has come out a second time, so it's been very atypical of any, any storm we've ever seen, I think, in recorded history. And it dumped an excessive, uh, huge, up to 50 inches, they're saying, um, of rainfall into several of our local rivers' watersheds. And so we simply have not had the opportunity to prepare for this level of a disaster. We don't have models for this kind of flooding. We're trying to sort of look into a crystal ball and, and punt to figure out what exactly has to happen. And so even our direct hit onto the shores of our county wasn't that hard, wind-wise, We've just got all this water coming on top of us and from, from upstream. So we've got historical flooding on the river.
2: Mandatory evacuation was called for Bay City. You're one of the people who's evacuated, are you not? I am very
4: evacuated, yes. I'm in the hill country.
2: What did it take to get out of town, and is the area clear at this point?
4: There was water over the road. We have sort of two two floods happening simultaneously, if you will. We've got the local water... It's just rain that's fallen in our area that's filled our ditches, our roadways, our creeks. And then we've got a wall of water coming down the Colorado River from upstream. So the local flooding had begun to subside, actually, when the mandatory evacuation uh, was called for late Sunday night because local authorities knew we had this huge amount of water coming down the river that was going to flood us a second time and flood kind of different areas. So as I was evacuating yesterday, water was rising along the Colorado River and its tributaries, And overflowing the roads, we were told on Sunday night that we would have until one o'clock yesterday afternoon that the roads would be clear enough to pass, and that anything any time after one o'clock they would become impassable.
2: Given all this water and the increase in flooding, what is the situation, as best we know it, at the South Texas Project nuclear reactors?
4: I don't really know. I've seen some. um, I saw a press release early on just stating that you know bragging about their ability to continue to operate because their standard is they use a wind standard if they have less than hurricane winds they are not required to go into cold standby and winds were not expected to exceed 74 miles per hour so I haven't seen anything generated from them publicly or heard anything on the grapevine so to speak addressing the water issues and the flooding issues and the interface between their cooling system and the Colorado River
2: you along with karen hadden of the seed coalition and paul gunter of beyond nuclear were calling for an immediate shutdown of the nuclear reactors what contact if any have you had with the nrc about this the governor of texas the electric reliability council of texas and the utility owners and what if anything has been their response so far
4: i actually haven't had any contact at all because i had to personally evacuate i've been I, I didn't even I wasn't even able to grab possessions because I run an animal rescue so I was dealing with horses swimming horses out of pastures and loading animals into cars and, and doing that I know uh secondhand that Karen contacted I think all the agencies that you you mentioned uh, I mean the governor's office and ERCOT and the stakeholders at STP but I don't have any first hand haven't had any first-hand conversations with any of those people
2: explain to us about the water level concerns you said that it was subsiding a bit from the initial flooding but now you have this wall of water coming at you down the river what can that potentially create at south texas project
4: the mayor of bay city and the county judge mcdonald stated in their uh the press conference they called about 10 o'clock sunday night i believe it was to to impose mandatory evacuation they said that all the businesses in bay city were going to be underwater with as much as 10 feet of water and structures downtown so that amount of uh, flowing toward stp stp is still under a little bit of a storm surge effect so they've got higher higher than normal water levels anyway Dude, just the sheer volume of water ripping through there it was already hard to describe by phone but like a huge raging river full of debris and we're at about i think about a third of the volume of water cubic feet per second that we're expecting by uh thursday evening our crest is thursday evening about eight o'clock
2: so this is still going to be increasing the amount of water coming down between now and the latter part of this week
4: it should escalate until um after dark thursday evening before it begins to subside yes
2: and there is no word even colloquially even on the grapevine even through friends and neighbors about what's going on at south texas
4: i haven't heard a, a single word
2: is that normal no what do you think might be contributing to that silence
4: i think part of the contributing factors are just the fact that we're all in in panic mode i mean so many people are trying to evacuate trying to find places to stay trying to find places to buy gasoline and groceries trying to find out if they've lost everything so people don't have time to even focus on it i think part of it is that i believe and this is a grapevine number, I've not seen anything official, but I believe there are about 175 employees at CP on duty and working, and so their emergency employee base is activated, so they're, they're stuck on site, sleeping on cots. They're not coming and going to their families and, and really able to visit and interface, so they're sort of isolated. Uh, the employees who are there are
2: sort of isolated from the community at large. The question has occurred to me, and it was voiced by Karen Haddon in the press release that was sent out. Is it possible that are the nuclear reactors run at increasing risk just to prove to the public that they can stay open in an emergency like this? You know, I can only speculate. I think that there definitely
4: is good motivation within the industry to prove that they can. I think that to shut down, especially in light of Fukushima and the fact that it was basically a flood-related event that caused that disaster, I think to shut down is almost to admit the risk or to admit defeat where if you can, I can just say this, the culture in the past has been such that you, you know, if you can keep up and running, if you can not show weakness, you can kind of create this facade of, oh, look how safe this is, there are no risks, but from my perspective as an advocate for the community, the smart money is on reducing the risk. The refineries are shut down, Uh, you know, gas futures are, uh, petroleum futures are are going up a little bit. I think we're predicted to have about a four cent a gallon gas increase. Because refineries shut down and sent their people home. They've not been uh, hit as directly by this as the, the nuke is, as Matagorda County is. And they made the decision to to cease and, you know, go on cold standby for a little bit. And that would have been the smart thing for the nuke to do, too. I think they have a lot to prove.
2: So right now they're playing either a game of chicken or Russian roulette with will they or won't they get through this thing?
4: There's some degree of risk. I mean, there's certainly some degree of risk. There's also a profit factor. There's a lot of money to be lost, you know, to go into, shut, into shutdown mode and to sit idle when you could be producing a profit. I don't think they've had a particularly profitable year. They did certainly need this major of a storm to come in the middle of it and complicate things further. Worst case scenario, what could happen? Worst case scenario is that they could lose their ability to cool the plant. Worst case scenario is their cooling system could be completely incapacitated. We had an unpredicted summer storm, just a thunderstorm a few years back that flooded the diesel backup uh, generator bays and caused the diesel generators to not be cool the plant or they're necessary for cooling of the plant to become ineffective. So we obviously have a a historical event going on that we have not been able to prepare for. From Houston, Harris County, all the way down to our county, local officials are relying on citizens to, to kick in and provide emergency services for each other because our emergency systems can't handle this. Uh, We don't have police protection in Bay City or haven't had. We've had no communication. You know, the the 911 and communication systems went down for Bay City Police Department. So obviously this is an event that nobody was able to, not blaming any official. This this is just something that Mother Nature has provided us that we have had no opportunity to prepare for. So there's nothing in the book saying, oh, this is what happens when this volume of water comes down the river and hits the nuclear plant's um, cooling system. Susan?
2: Please, stay safe, stay dry. Thank you for taking care of the animal. And anything else comes up, would you please give me a call so that I can use it to inform the listeners of Nuclear Hot Seats?
0: Absolutely. Thank you for your coverage. Susan Dancer, President of the South Texas Association for Responsible Energy from an evacuation site somewhere that's not in the middle of Bay City, Texas. It's important that you know of a press release that was put out this afternoon. Paul Gunter, on behalf of Beyond Nuclear, Karen Haddon, on behalf of Sustainable Energy and Economic Development, or SEED, Coalition, and Susan Dancer have issued a press release calling for the South Texas Project nuclear reactors to be shuttered due to the hurricane flooding risks. The press release is already gaining traction in online media, and one can only hope that mainstream media picks up on it as well. We will, of course, have a link to it up on our website, nuclearhotseat.com, under this episode, number 323. There are many moving parts to this story, but one I think that deserves our close attention was brought up by Susan Dancer that of the flood stages in proximity to the South Texas Project nuclear reactors, which still, as of this recording, are operating at 100% power. In sharing this information, I am drawing heavily upon work done by one of the most reliable sources of astute interpretation of nuclear information, miningawareness.wordpress.com. As pointed out on that site, The South Texas Project STP plant site is located 10 miles inland and at an elevation of 29 feet, which is well above the reach of even a Category 5 storm surge from the Gulf of Mexico. The plant was designed with watertight buildings and doors to keep emergency electric power and cooling systems fully functional. All buildings' housing safety equipment are floodproof to an elevation of at least 41 feet above mean sea level. That's from an article that was put out by the STP Public Affairs Office. Another article on the plant's safety in the wake of Fukushima makes similar points about a hurricane storm surge, but makes an important distinction about inland flooding from the Colorado River about two miles away from the plant. According to STP spokesman Buddy Eller, We're built to withstand a worst-case scenario involving a hurricane with combined wind and a 100-year flood along that Colorado River, Eller said. We're located at 29 feet above sea level. Here's the interpretation. So from these two articles, and from the STP nuclear plant spokesman himself, the plant can withstand a 41-foot storm surge from the ocean. But being at 29 feet above sea level, that only leaves 12 feet of inland flooding from what they describe as a mere 100-year flood along the Colorado River. That's right. The storm surge only leaves them with 12 feet of inland flooding before their safety parameters are exceeded. Here's the problem. The Colorado River at Bay City is forecast to surge 27 feet in the next two days. Not 12 feet, 27 feet, 15 feet higher. Now, considering that the river is currently 9 feet above what is forecast at this time, it is likely to surpass the record crest of the Colorado River in the next few days. That 100-year flood the plant spokesman talked about, which happened in 1913, It crested at a level of 56.1 feet. The highest crest of the Colorado River at Bay City since the STP nuclear plant began operating was 24.04 feet in 1991. All of them above the 12-foot mark. They never looked at what the combined water levels might be from both a hurricane and a flood on the river. And to quote miningawareness.wordpress.com, it looks like STP will be facing a major test in the coming days, and there's nothing anyone can do to stop it. Please, if you are in the area, or you know anyone who might be in that area, be safe. And now, just because Nuclear Hot Seat would not be complete without it, Nuclear Hot Seed, Nuclear Hot Seed, Nuclear Hot Seed, Not Nuts Out week The Weather Channel. We rely upon it for a never-ending array of overproduced visuals with multiple information sources running at the same time, CGI tricked out moving maps of weather fronts, and yuck-yuck footage of reporters standing outside in horrific weather for our amusement and edification because, hey, it's only the weather, right? Yes, the Weather Channel turns changes of wind and temperature into a three-ring circus of clowns who narrate the vagaries of Mother Nature and try to make it entertaining. Also, at times like Hurricane Harvey, they get to handle some pretty serious news. I wanted to make certain that the Weather Channel knew about the problems at STP, South Texas Project, and what they could use to present the nuclear aspect of Hurricane Harvey and its aftermath. So I called their newsroom. I got someone named Danny, who, as soon as I mentioned the word nuclear, shouted, We've already heard from you people, and hung up on me. I called back, got her again, started with, Don't hang up on me! You don't know the issues that need to be addressed, and... And again she snarled something and hung up on me even faster. So I called again. This time I got a young man who seemed inclined to talk with me, the operant word being seemed. When I mentioned STP and nuclear, he quickly jumped in. We're already covering that along expert channels, I responded. What, you're talking with the NRC and STP? You're missing important perspective. He jumped in again, snarky as only a smug, self-righteous, recently graduated intern can be. What, do you work here now, he said? I responded, no, but I cover this information every week, and if you don't know the questions to ask, you're missing the story. We're in touch with all the experts, he insisted. Having just talked with Paul Gunter, I threw in, Have you talked with anyone at Beyond Nuclear yet? He snapped, Yes, we have. I said, That's strange. I just finished interviewing Paul Gunter, and he didn't mention it. And the idiot on the phone actually said, Then you're talking to the wrong people. And he hung up the phone. Interestingly, Paul called me a short time later with the update, after he had spoken with the NRC. I took the opportunity and asked him,
2: Have you been interviewed or has anybody in the office been
0: interviewed by the Weather Channel? No. And there you have it. So I guess the Weather Channel isn't interested in crowdsourcing information and insights and guarantee they won't be bothered with fresh information by putting small-minded, overworked interns on the front lines to make certain that they won't have a chance to hear the truth from a different perspective. No, they'd much rather put reporters of color outdoors in the middle of a growing hurricane, like I saw them do with Harvey more than once, to prove that they are both evolved in their hiring practices and sadistic in their assignments, all at the same time. And that's why you, Weather Channel, are this week's Nuclear Hot Seed, none that sound week. Here's today's final thought. There are many nuclear questions brought up by the devastation caused by Hurricane Harvey and the biblical proportion rains that, as I record this, are still falling and will for several days. Among these questions for the NRC, what does it take to invoke the 73-mile-per-hour wind threshold for shutdown of a nuclear reactor? The agency has already spotlighted potential vulnerabilities at nuclear reactor facilities from tornado-generated missile projection, most recently cited in event reports this year alone for Wolf Creek in Kansas on April 5th, Browns Ferry in Alabama on April 25th, and Arkansas Nuclear One on April 26th. Be it from tornadoes or hurricanes or hurricane-generated tornadoes, by your own admission, High wind speed has the potential to damage nuclear reactors. Why would you let one operate in winds that are peaking? According to Paul Gunter from his conversation with NRC District 4 Rep. Victor Drix, peaking at 100 miles per hour. If the threshold is 73 miles per hour, is that triggered by a spike in wind speed, as seems to have been the case in the tornado related instances? Or a sustained wind speed? And how long does a wind speed need to be sustained or exceeded in order to qualify as a mandate to shut that nuclear reactor down? And who decides? Why have there been no daily reports? Why no reports at all on the status of South Texas projects two nuclear reactors in the middle of a Category 4 hurricane and catastrophic flooding? You heard Nancy Faust, who deals with TEPCO all the time, say that the NRC is less transparent than TEPCO. If the nuclear reactors at South Texas Project remain safe, wouldn't we expect the NRC to take some of the credit? Or is it too much to ask for you to bring attention to a situation that, by all reasonable interpretation of the facts, could turn very bad, very fast, So you'd rather it just be buried in all the other news noise connected with Harvey and its aftermath. For South Texas Project Nuclear Operating Company, what is the source of the grid power you are using? Given the wind, rains, flooding, and pending storm surge of the Colorado River to what is predicted to be record levels above the design basis of your nuclear reactors, how secure is the source of your grid power? Just as we began to record this program, Nuclear Hot Seat learned that in zip code 77465, Matagorda County, Texas, which is where the STP nuclear power plant is located, the power outages last night showed at 37%. That's on Monday, August 28, 2017. As we are now recording this on August 29, the level is at 45% outages. Are you still insisting that your grid energy is just fine and dandy and will remain that way? Are your nuclear reactors still pulling grid power? Or have the smoke and mirrors started, along with the denial of your PR propaganda machine, and you started going into backup generators? How high are those emergency backup generators in relation to the possible storm surge? How secure are the dikes holding the water in your cooling pond? How much more water is anticipated for the reactor site, and how will it impact the main cooling reservoir, the cooling pool? How much water can the main cooling reservoir hold before it overflows, or has it already been overflowing? What is the condition of the roads around STP? If you need to bring in supplies or assistance, or need to get people out in a hurry, will you be able to do so? And the big question for both the NRC and South Texas Project, what gives you the right to play a cross between Russian roulette and chicken with our lives, health, and safety by running two nuclear reactors at 100% power during a Category 4 hurricane and subsequent catastrophic flooding? Are you, South Texas Project, under orders by your nuclear industry bosses to stand your ground and not shut down no matter what? Is this an attempt for them to salvage your misbegotten industry's image? Nuclear has been falling in an ever more rapid death spiral for years. Is it that the industry wants to prove that nuclear can stay open and running, no matter the danger the close calls will never know about, so that they can claim bragging rights to fuel their propaganda? If so, how dare you take that risk on behalf of people and the environment? No one has the right to play these kind of games with the future when a Fukushima-type accident could happen. Yes, maybe we'll all get lucky and dodge this particular nuclear bullet, setting a really bad precedent that will be followed in future hurricane-tornado flooding scenarios until sometime in the future it all turns into a big nuclear oops and then there's no turning it around. Yeah, you might get away with it this time. And I hope to all I consider consider holy holy, that the stress of Texas recovering from catastrophic flooding is not further complicated by a nuclear accident. You might guess right this time around. But what if you're wrong? What if the floodwaters overwhelm your best-laid post-Fukushima plans and create a further catastrophe from which we will never, ever recover. Do you really want to risk what it will take to find out? Will you continue to play Russian roulette or chicken with two nuclear reactors and a storm surge that has not peaked yet, not by a long shot? Or will you do as my mother would have recommended, better to be safe than sorry? It's just common sense. Stop gambling with the future. Shut down those nuclear reactors. Now. This has been Nuclear Hot Seat for Tuesday, August 29, 2017. Our thanks to Paul Gunter of Beyond Nuclear, Nancy Faust of Simply Info, Susan Dancer of South Texas Association for Responsible Energy, Karen Haddon of Sustainable Energy and Economic Development, or SEED, Coalition, miningawareness.wordpress.com, and the whole gang at Coalition Against Nukes on Facebook, most specifically Gail Snyder for her wonderful catch of the blackout percentages in Bay City, and Priscilla Starr, just because you're always there and you always support us. If you know of a broadcast station in your area that would be interested in carrying Nuclear Hot Seat and joining our growing broadcast network, send an email to info at nuclearhotseat.com. If you have a story lead, a hot tip, or a suggestion of someone to interview, info at nuclearhotseat.com, let us know. We are Copyright 2017, Libby Halevi and Hardestry Communications. All rights reserved, but fair use allowed, as long as proper attribution is provided. My name, the name of the show, and a link to the website. And a reminder that if you appreciate weekly verifiable news updates about nuclear issues around the world, delivered with as much humor as possible, take a moment to send a donation to NuclearHotSeat.com. This is Libby Halevi of Heart History Communications, the heart of the art of communicating, Reminding you that for those of us who warn you about the problems of nukes, the last thing we ever want to be able to say is, I told you so. There, you've just had your nuclear wake up call. So don't go back to sleep because we are all in the nuclear hot seat.
2: Nuclear hot seat, what are those people thinking? Nuclear